So there was this uh, country preacher guy who um, decided that he was going to call off church one Sunday because he wanted to go bear hunting. And so he did. He called off church, he got his gun, and he happened to live in a region where there was some mountains. And so he went up and um, had his gun and was walking the trail, and, and he made a turn, and he bumped right into this ferocious bear, so much so that he fell back because he was startled, and he started rolling down the hill or the mountain, and the gun was separated from him, and he ended up, you know, I don't know if he hit a rock or did something, but he ended up uh, breaking legs or something, but incapacitated. He couldn't move, and that was the good news. The bad news was the bear, the ferocious, monster-looking bear, was storming right at him. And he was petrified, and he looked up, and he started praying. And this is what he said. He said, oh, Lord, I'm sorry for canceling church to go hunt. Please forgive me, and would you grant me just this one wish? Would you please, please make a Christian out of that bear that's coming at me? Please, Lord. And incredible, but that very instant, the bear skidded to a halt, dropped to his knees, put his paws together, closed his eyes, folded his head, bowed his head, and this is what he said. He prayed right out loud, and he goes, Father, our dear Lord, bless this food I'm about to receive in Jesus' name. (laughs) Amen. Laughter is good. We're going to finish up our section um, where Dr. Luke gives us uh, some help on how to relate in three different areas. Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at, or we looked at from the Good Samaritan story, how to relate to others, how to relate to each other and to people that God has put in front of us. Uh, We talked about last week about how to relate to Jesus, that he is to be our priority, that we're to put him first. I gave you the the goldfish, and to remind you, right, that, that we're to be like a fish in water, to immerse ourselves with our life in Christ, so much so that we don't even begin to realize that we're living and loving like Jesus. This morning, we're going to talk about the third area, and that's found in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. You can turn your Bibles to that if you would like, and I would love for you to do that. And Dr. Luke is going to give us some information or instructions about how to relate to our Heavenly Father, to our God, who is our Father. And so this morning, um, I'm just going to tell you up front, right away, what the big idea is for today. I mean, you've heard it, you've seen it a lot. I mean, if you are in any kind of social media Twitter, there's this, it used to be 140 characters, now it's too much, but it used to be where you could just type in 140 characters and then that would just be some concise statement, 
And so they always taught us, or they began to teach us that that's what we need to do as preachers, as people who communicate God's word, is to figure out what this big idea is for your message, and then that, that's what needs to come across. So when people leave, that's what they remember, and hopefully are going to be obedient towards. And so I'm going to just share with you right up front what that is. And so I hope you got your pen, your paper, your handout, your notes. You ready? Your phone, you're ready to double thumb, type, whatever I'm going to tell you. Here is, I mean, get ready, right? <laughs> it's long. Here is the big idea for, and I'm going to write it out myself. Here's the big idea for th this morning. That's it. Pray. The big idea for today is this idea of to pray. Pray. Pray, pray. It's for us to understand that prayer is not about information. It's not about getting what I want. It's more of developing this intimacy with the Father. This is what Dr. Luke is going to share with us. And prayer is, is the means by which our sovereign God accomplishes the phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. And so today is not so much a sermon about prayer as it is a message, a talk, whatever you want to call it, that's going to ask you to pray. And I don't know where any of you are at in that spectrum we call praying. Maybe you've never prayed before. It scares you. I don't have the words. And I'm going to say, well, just start. And we're going to look at why and how. Or maybe you have, but it's lost or it's been forgotten. We're going to get back on that bicycle and keep going again. You see, there's, just no, there's no experts in prayer. We're going to find out that all of us, right, are, are weak because Jesus says that when you're weak, I am, you know, I am going to be the one who's going to be glorified because I'm the one that people are going to look at is the reason why you do what you do. And so we become dependent on God. And our main tool is prayer, is communication. It's that two-way communication between your Heavenly Father and yourself. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to hopefully, by the end of this morning, is that there'll be this exhortation, this challenge for wherever you're at to begin to pray in your life. Let's just remember again a couple of things that I feel like are key for us. We talked about this a while back, but let's just read it together, okay, on the count of three. Can we do this together? Read it for me. One, two, three. Okay, that's what we've been called to do, right, as followers of Christ, as sons and daughters, because of the love that God has for us, sending his only son to become a man, right, who then was obedient to his heavenly father while on this earth, lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserve, took on the wrath that we deserved, was buried, 
And then as Matt said, rose again, defeated death, now is seated in heaven with his God and says, I want you to believe in me. Now with that kind of love that God loved you, I want you then to love other people that I put in your path. And so that's our journey. Last week we said, be like a fish in water and love the one in front of you. And so immerse ourselves in God, in Jesus, whatever that looks like. But just begin to immerse yourself in him. And then from that, right, love at the same level that you've been loved, be like a fish in water, then, I, then it's not so hard then to um, begin to pray that God open my eyes, open my eyes to see who you want me to love. And so then I think a simple thing for me, how I remember it, is that I want that God just pray, whoever you put in front of me, that I am to love that person, whether it's my spouse or my kids or my son-in-law's or my extended family and my brothers, my mom and dad, Janet's mom and dad, or whoever God puts in front of me, a stranger, um, neighbors, whatever it might be. And in that way, we begin to demonstrate the change that God has put in our life. You see, I'm going to read you a quote from two men. One was from Howard Hendricks, who was a professor of Mine. I was privileged to sit under his teaching for a class at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he was known for his wit and his humor, um, but just a very tender but very um, incredible teacher of God's word. And this is what he said at the beginning of uh, a message that he gave at Moody, Moody Bible Institute. And he said this, you see, Satan doesn't mind if you study your Bible just so you don't pray. You'll become a smarter sinner, but you won't become like Jesus Christ. You'll have more comprehension, more information, but not more transformation. Satan does not mind if you share your faith, just so you don't pray. Because he knows if you, if you don't, that is far more important to talk to God about men than it is to talk to men about God. Satan does not mind if you become that radically compulsive, active person down at your local church or parachurch ministry just so you don't pray. Because then you will be active but not really accomplishing anything of permanent value. Samuel Chadwick said in a less in a more concise way, the very same thing. And he says, the one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies. He fears nothing from prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. And so this is what we're going to look at this morning in, in, chapter, or in the book of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. So let's look at those first few, first few verses. In verse 1, he says, he's, Dr. Luke starts out by saying, one day Jesus was praying on a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as, as John taught his disciples. And so the first thing we begin to see is that a disciple is dependent 
Remember I talked about that um, in the four Gospels, each one highlights the unique uh, part of who Jesus is. In Dr. Luke, we get this, this uh, part, it, it raises the, um, his humanity to us. So much so that we begin to write, we can identify with Jesus. And so that he was thirsty and he was hungry and he got tired and all of those things. And it's interesting to note that in the Gospels that we read about 15 instances where Jesus is praying. And 11 of those are found or come out of the book of Luke. And so Jesus is featured in his humanity as the son of man, and we're able to identify with that. And what we begin to learn when we begin to study the life of Jesus, that his private life was the, really the secret to his public ministry. Someone once said that prayer was not a part of, a li- part of his life. It was his life. And so it's good to ask, us, ask ourselves the question when we study God's word, this question of well, how did Jesus Christ spend his time while on this earth? And we begin to understand that, um, that he was a praying person and he went away by himself a fair amount of time that his disciples would begin to see him pray as well. He was dependent. He needed it. He liked and wanted that regular communication with his heavenly father. So much so that in this chapter, in chapter 11, we begin to see that his disciples, and this is the only time that they do this, is that they said, Lord, I want you to teach us how to pray just like John taught his disciples. It's the only time that his disciples ask him to teach them something to do. And so we can infer from that that it must have been an important part of the life of our Savior. And then if we ask the question, what is Jesus doing now in heaven? And we begin to understand through different passages of Scripture in the New Testament that he's right now interceding it's a word that he's praying, right, for you and me to our God, to Heavenly Father. He's still doing that. And so prayer is an important, important part of Jesus' life. And if we're to be like him, then it should be an important part of our life as well. John 15, 1 through 6, talks this. He says, I am the true vine. This is from the NIV version. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me and that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And then he says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, you can still live your life, still do some things, right? That's not what he's saying. But apart from me, anything of eternal value, you can do nothing. And so 
There is something about abiding in Christ, in God. that is beneficial for us. Luke says that Jesus went to a certain place. And I think that's important as well. It's kind of this both and thing where we are to right, pray without ceasing so we have this continual lifestyle of prayer in our life and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But also Jesus went to a certain place. He must have had this certain place where he went to and it's important for us, I believe, to have this certain place that we set aside, that we can be free from distractions, that we can do on a regular basis, whether it's weekly or daily or whatever it might be. But there is this place that we can just set aside and remove ourselves from distractions to just interact with our God, our doubts and our fears and our questions and our concerns and to give praise and to ask and to all of that and to listen and to meditate, whatever it might be, to worship. But to find that certain place and to be able to do that. What we're talking about is really developing this everyday prayer lifestyle. Is that we begin to have conversations with God all day long. That we're so immersed in it that it's just kind of a reflexive thing in our life. And whether we do these one-sentence prayers, um, here I am, Lord, or whatever, and we can find these in Scripture, or we begin to um, you know, have a rhythm in the morning or at night or whatever it might be, or you know, we have different things that trigger a prayer response in our life, or whatever it is, we're just having this regular conversation. It's not like we have to, like the bear, put, get on our knees and bow and close our eyes and fold our hands and do all of that before we can pray. It's not that at all. There's probably a time and place for that. But prayer is this um, intimate conversation with our Heavenly Father. And we need to begin to have a rhythm of regular, everyday prayer in our life. There's a quote that says, What gives prayer its power? And effectiveness is less about the people who pray or the system of prayer they use, but rather God the Father who delights in turning his children's weaknesses into great strength. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, he writes, Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So we read that, right? He went away. He was praying. Then his disciples said, I want you to teach us how to pray. And then he goes into what we would typically call, right? We call what? The Lord's Prayer. There you go. Thank you. And we see that in Matthew and we see it in Luke. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. This rendition is not exactly like the one in Matthew. It doesn't say everything there. So it's not 
something that we begin to understand that it's not a, um, a prayer that we're to mimic uh, verbatim the words all the time, but rather that it's a, this model, thematic thing that we're to do in our prayer life. And so we begin to understand that a dependent disciple, a dependent disciple, which you are, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a son, you're a daughter, but you're also dependent on our Heavenly Father. That a dependent disciple will talk with their father. And when we begin to understand it's a family privilege, I mean, it's a privilege, right, that they didn't have in the Old Testament. It was they had to go through the priest for forgiveness of sins. And when Christ defeated death, that veil was broken, and now this awesome opportunity, this awesome privilege to have this 24-7 access to our Heavenly Father is given to you, and it's given to me. And so we're expected, we're wanted, we're, He desires for us to communicate with Him on a regular, consistent basis, our Father in Heaven. And so we start in a, in a posture of a child. Let's think of a young child with their mom and dad. And that's the posture that we have with God. And we um, begin to remember the love that he has for us expressed through his son, Jesus Christ. That we begin to understand that we stand in the same place as Jesus did Right? Father and son, adopted son. And when we, we think of our Father in heaven, we begin to rehearse the truths of the gospel about who God is, about what he has done through Jesus Christ, about who we are in him and the hope that we have in heaven. And we invite the Holy Spirit to remind us of these truths when Satan would love nothing more than for you to believe lies in your life. Hallowed be your name. We move towards praise. We move towards thanksgiving. Remember the verses I shared last week, Colossians 3, 15 through 17. And he gives very specific, three very specific things, but woven in all of that, and that's something that we easily miss, is this attitude of thanksgiving in our heart. And that needs to be prevalent. That's why he probably shared that more than just once, that that needs to be just something. What does thankfulness do, right? It removes that we're so full of ourselves because we're thankful that God has done something for us. And so we just need to be thankful. We move toward praise. We move towards thanksgiving. We praise him for who he is and thank him for what he's done. And if you want to, you can use psalms to help you in this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We begin to commit ourselves to his will in our life. We begin to pray kingdom-type prayers that what is true in heaven, right, will be true on earth. We pray for his rule and his reign over my life and over the people that are part of my life. We ask him to reveal any area in my heart where I'm not seeking his kingdom first. Give us our daily bread. 
asking him to meet our basic needs. We're bringing our petitions before him. We're bringing the needs of others before him. And we're asking it boldly. Forgive us our debts, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal unbelief or rebellion, acknowledging it as sin and asking him to forgive us, making that U-turn in our life where we're headed one way and we ask for forgiveness, we repent, and then part of that repentance is making that U-turn 180 degrees and going back the other way in our life. And then we extend forgiveness to others, which is probably something that we don't do as easily or as readily. And then he finishes with, lead us not into temptation. So we're asking the Holy Spirit to reveal areas of weakness in our life or vulnerability to his attacks in us. Reveal them to me. What are they? So that I can avoid, or when they pop up, I can choose to do something different. We begin to ask for power to overcome sin and to deliver us from Satan in our life. And so that's just a quick overview of that Lord's Prayer. Just something to note again is that our prayers don't get lost in translation. You know, Romans 8, 26-28 talks about that when we don't know what to pray or when we're at loss for words or we're just not feeling it's all coming together, you know, that, those verses talk about that the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us. As Eugene Peterson puts it, he says, if we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God has worked out into something good. That's Romans 8, 26 through 28 from the message. And so if you want to begin to be good at prayer... It's just like we talked about last Sunday with the fish, that you just need to begin to dive in, and that's the same thing with prayer. You want to be, get, to be good at prayer, then just dive in and start praying. right? Because prayer is this um, common language of sons and daughters, of adopted sons and daughters of the family. It's, uh, prayer is our, just our native tongue. Just this of praying is really the key to prayer. It's taking time out of our normal, frenetic, fast-paced, doing here, going there, kids this, kids that, whatever it is that we choose to include in our life and taking time out of that um, and centering ourselves around this life of prayer or centering ourselves through Christ, by prayer, right? That's what we need to be doing. And that's the only way that we're ever going to move forward in this journey to be Christ-like. He goes on. He gives us that Lord's Prayer and then he says this, he, then Jesus said to him, and he gives him this parable. Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, and a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, 
don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, and you can underline that in your Bible, whatever words they might use, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, or which of you fathers, if your son or daughter asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? I hope that none of you are that mean. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts, good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So a dependent disciple not only talks to the Father and realizes that it's a family privilege, but a dependent disciple will ask or is shamelessly bold, or is, is um, shameless, this pure audacity, that's just part of who they are. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And the last one is the dependent disciple prays for God's agenda and their needs. Prayer is about relationship. And if you make it about the answers, you are moving into a very dangerous territory. And so we begin to have this relationship with our God. And we begin to, his heart becomes our heart. And we begin to then align our wants and our desires with his wants and our, his desires. And we begin to then pray for his agenda. More and more and more and more. And then through that, we begin to pray for our needs and the needs of our brothers and sisters. And that's what he's saying. Just to close out that section, uh, look at me Matthew chapter 6, verses 30 through 33 from the message. Just talking about, because um, sometimes we think, well, God, you're never going to come through and you're never going to take care of my needs and all of that. And, and this addresses that. If God gives, gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. So the last one was this to be this. Just to be the answer. 
See, we're, we're to have a life that's dependent on the Spirit. And St. Augustine said this. He says, pray as though everything depended on God. Work as though everything depended on you. And so we begin to pray, right? We begin to pray, and we're dependent on him. And our heart and his heart begin to be aligned. And the knowledge that we're getting connects to our heart. And that begins to line up, and then it flows through our hands, and then we begin to serve. And so many times we pray, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait. And what I think what we need to be doing is begin to pray, but then alongside of that praying is that we just go and be and do, right? Love with the same kind of love that you've been loved. Love the one in front of you. Go and do. I think it's both and. We're to be dependent. We're to have this prayer life, but then go be the answer. And I think you'll do that just naturally. Not naturally, but through his, through his power in Christ, you'll begin to see these opportunities and you'll become more and more obedient to that. Um, I'm going to close with this and then we'll continue on. Um, as a college student, I'm going to draw again. Is that okay? So as a college student, I, um, <clears throat> I love to go see movies. And this is Lincoln, by the way. And this is the movie theater. And so this is O Street. O Street. And this is East which makes that west, south, north. All right, so here we are driving. This is, oh, sorry. Uh, here's the median. There we go. All right, so here we are driving in this lane, and I'm in the passenger seat of this car, of this pickup, and we wanted to go see a movie that's over here. And so there are stoplights here, and it was red when we stopped, which is a good thing. And I decided, because we needed to get tickets yet, this is eons ago, back in the dark ages. And so I got out of the vehicle, and I was running. That's me running. I'm running to get in front of the vehicle and to go on to here so I can get to here to get movie tickets. What I didn't realize is that the light had turned green, and there was vehicles that were coming, right? They hadn't stopped yet, but they were coming, and they saw it green, and so they decided they're not going to stop. They're just going to keep progressing, which they should have done, right? It's their right to do that. What I did was stupid, and so I was getting out of my vehicle, not passenger side. I'm running in front of this car, and I had full intentions of going straight across here to get to here, and I don't know why this happened. To this day, I still do not don't know why this happened, but I stopped right here, and I can remember going, what in the world? Because I had every intention of running right across them, because if I would have ran right across, I would have been hit by this car, and I would have either been dead or something, you know, paraply or something horrible. But for whatever reason, I stopped. And you can call it that maybe I saw this car in the corner of my eye, or it was coincidence, or whatever it was, I'm choosing not to believe that. I believe 
that an angel or something stopped me there. And of course, the young punk that I was did not realize that. And then as soon as the car went by, I just casually went across the street and go, oh, no big deal. But inside, I knew something had happened. And I believe that instance, that instance marked me. It's when I began to realize that God loved me in a much deeper, deeper level. The worship team can come on out. There's many other things that impacted my prayer life. My wife, my future wife at the time, had an incredible prayer life. And she challenged me, even though she didn't know that at the time, she would challenge me. I got challenged to journal, began to write in her journal. The night, or a couple of nights after our granddaughter died, I remember waking up in the middle, and I told you this story, but I remember so vividly him speaking to me. And all these things put together are saying, Kevin, pray. I want this relationship with you. And it's not a guilt thing. It's not a I have to do thing. It's not, it's not what Christians are supposed to do. Because if that's what it was, then it would become just this dreadfully done thing in your life. And you won't want to do it. But when it becomes and when you look at it and go, this is something that I'm just going to connect with the God that loves me. And he wants a relationship with me. Then I begin to do those things that help me to do that. Um, one last, I know I'm running long, but I just love this illustration. How many of you do CrossFit here? One. One. <laughs> My daughter does CrossFit, and it's amazing to me. <laughs> Settle down, would you please escort that gentleman out to church? <laughs> It's amazing to me, people who do CrossFit. And Travis, how did you begin? What, what started you to do CrossFit? A friend started Yeah, so a friend invited you, right? And you wanted to become more buff and muscular. And, something like that. Yeah, something like that, okay. All right, so uh, different people go to CrossFit because of various different reasons. And they will endure pain. I... My daughter would come home and she had bruises on her shins and her thighs and she twisted an ankle and she would show me her hands and there's blisters right there and go, why do you do that? And it's because they want to um, attain a certain goal or it's because from what I understand is that CrossFit has this amazing family atmosphere that they encourage and um, they just develop this incredible bond together. And they begin to do that. But here's the point in all this. Is that no matter how they got started, if that's all it was, they would never do it. But they had to take that first step. It might have been researching online what CrossFit is all about. Or it might have been accepting that invitation from a friend. Or it might have been just going to the gym and starting for that first day. And it was hard, 
and all of that, but then it begins to become easier and more of a part of your life, and then pretty soon you are the CrossFit king or queen, maybe. <laughs> right? But that's what prayer is to me in, in this sense. We get so scared and we go, I don't know if I can't do that. I can't say the right words. I can't pray like Travis or, or whoever or Billy Graham or whatever. And so I'm just not going to pray. And that's not what it's about. There's no experts in prayer. All God wants is you to communicate with him. And so all I'm asking, the big takeaway for this morning is to be like Jesus, to be dependent like he was, and to begin to pray. Just take that first step and pray. Let's worship together.